Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Try to finish something that I started. Isn't that a good thing? You know, finish something you start. But we're going to go to Second Peter, uh, chapter number one, and I'll I'll begin somewhere with verse number five. If you remember, a couple weeks ago we were talking about Christian maturity, Christian maturity, and I want to continue in that vein this morning. I'll try to just get us back to speed so that we're all on the same page because that's important. It's important that we're all on the same page. It's like that. It's like that, uh, that pastor. That time he was having a little illustration demonstration for his congregation, and he had had a few jars that were set up, and he put one worm, put a worm down into a jar of alcohol, put a worm down into a, a jar that was filled with smoke, put another worm down to a jar full of chocolate syrup, and another worm that was down in a jar of good good soil. And uh, after just a period of time, the worms that was in the alcohol and the smoke and the chocolate syrup they all died and he said now can anybody tell me what this means so there's an elderly old lady mature lady back there in the back and she raised her hands yes sir tells me that if you don't drink and if you don't smoke and you don't eat chocolate syrup you won't have worms <laughs> so it's imperative that we're all on the same page this morning it's imperative that we get on the same page today second peter Second Peter, chapter number 1, starting with verse number 5. The Bible says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, Lord, we come to you today. We're asking, Lord, for a touch of your spirit upon our hearts and upon our minds. God, we're appreciative today, Lord, of you, God, and the ability, God, that you have enabled us with to come into this place to lift up hands and voices of worship unto you. I pray, O oh Lord, today, continue to help us in this journey and this walk of our Christian life. And I know, Lord, we will be made better by it. God, and we'll just hold true to you. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Just kind of catch us up to speed. Whenever we were talking a couple weeks ago about Christian maturity, uh, we were kind of driving home the idea that uh, whenever you uh, experience the promise of God, take on the divine nature, we call it receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Whenever you receive that, that is not both the beginning and the end of your journey. That's truly just the beginning and that uh, whenever the scripture spoke that beside this he was speaking about after we received the Holy Ghost and had all that, that beside that in, in addition to that there are some other things that you need to uh, contribute to your life or give diligence to. That there are some growth that we can grow up into uh, Christ Jesus. That receiving his spirit is a good start. But it's not for us to do that and just remain there. It's for us to progress and continue in our relationship with the Lord. Go a little deeper. We tried to make some 
uh, analogies for our understanding. Wouldn't there be uh, a red flag that would go up if a baby was born into the world and they remained a blabbering, drooling, <laughs> happened to be changed baby for all their life? I just seen glances go to people. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I won't touch that. But, but it, there, it indicates that something's wrong because anything that alive, that's alive grows. Things that are alive grow. So it's a part of the nature of being alive that there should be growth and something that should indicate growth. And as we were talking last week, we began to talk about uh, some of the things that we had to watch uh, in our relationships, not just in the church, but outside the church, that whoever we would walk with, uh, you know, those who uh, begin to walk with the wise, they shall become wise, meaning that they were not wise when they started, but after walking along for a time with them, they became wise, meaning that we oftentimes become what we walk with. And uh, we also illustrated how that our companionships uh, uh, affect our manners, who we uh, hang around, who we give attention to affects our manners. And with all of that said, then I want to go back to verse number, uh, verse number three, I believe it is. And Sister McGee, I may have not told you that one this morning, but if you're at Second Peter 1, if you look at verse number three again, the Bible says, as according as his divine power hath given unto us, that divine power, that spirit of the Lord that you receive, it gives something to you. And notice, it gives unto us all, everyone say all, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Again, just to just put our elbow on analogy, something we can get our hands around. Whenever that child's born, the potential for adulthood is there. All things for uh, being cultivated into an adult life is present at that moment of birth. But it still doesn't negate the fact that that child has to develop and progress in some of those areas that are inherent right there at the moment of birth. And so as Christians, whenever we receive the Spirit, we have been given all things that pertain to this spiritual life. But we must still go through modes of development for them to come into full practice for our life and be a parent for our life. So he's given us all things into life and to godliness, all the resources. He's given us all the resources the moment that we've been born again of the water and the Spirit. You know, a lot of times, though, people can be given, per se, resources, and it's all about whether you tap in and use that resource. You know, we, we've, we've all times, you know, laughed at the things, you know, you, you get something that needs assembled, I got this, and there it goes, you know, somehow the instructions go in the trash, but you know how to do this, and before long it's not quite working out the way, you know, this looks nothing like the picture. And what happens is, is that you might not have used the resource <laughs> that was given with the package. There were some instructions that came with that, but you had to, it was supplied. There's no reason it should look as it does, but you didn't use the resource. And so he's given us all things that pertain unto life and for our lives. He's given us the resources, but we must take the initiative to use the resources that God has given us. We must allow them to fester in our lives. The Bible says, and I have uh, a little Bible to go through today, in Philippians chapter number 2 this morning, Philippians chapter number 2, and I'd like to read just a few verses of Scripture today, uh, namely verse number 12 of Philippians 2 uh, this morning. The Bible says these words. It says, Wherefore, my beloved 
as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He says, if I say it like this, he's telling these new believers and new Christians, he says, work out your own salvation. He says, will you work out, work out what God has worked in? say like that this morning work out in your life what God has worked into your life he's put something into your life but it it is your responsibility to work out your own salvation he says for it's God which worketh in you we discovered two weeks ago that or even I think maybe it was on Wednesday we're talking about God doing the work but he has to have the the will of the people that says I'll let him work I'll let you go there I'll let you do that. I'll let you accomplish that in my life. Uh, growth is not something that, that somebody else can do for you. I know it's elementary, but growth isn't something that somebody else can do for you. You've got to work that out. Interesting enough, and sometimes people lean upon this, of Romans 15, 16. And uh, this is Scripture, and it's absolutely true. But the Bible speaks about that we're being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, or we're being set apart, if you will, by the Holy Ghost. And that is absolutely true. But we must take Scripture with Scripture to understand the totality of Scripture. And so we're sanctified, or if you will, set apart by the Holy Ghost. I receive the Spirit of God that sets me apart, that sanctifies me. Yet in Old Testament Scripture and times, I read often in the book of Leviticus, like chapters 11 and 20, that the the Word of God is constantly saying, sanctify yourselves. So Scripture says, I'm sanctified by the Holy Ghost, but in Old Testament Scripture is constantly saying, sanctify yourselves. And the basis for the command of the Old Testament Scripture of sanctify yourselves Amen. The command that came to the people for them to do that just came on the heels of this. For I, for I am the Lord your God. So he would say, for I am the Lord your God, so sanctify yourselves. So I'm sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Yes, I'm set apart by that. There's a sanctification that comes just by receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Just by that happening in my life, there's a sanctification that comes, a sanctification. But there's also a sanctification process that's left up to me. Since he is the Lord my God, then he says, sanctify yourselves. You've got to do some things to set yourself apart. The Spirit's going to do it, but you also got to take some initiative to do some of the setting apart yourself. Because I am the Lord your God. You've accepted me as your Lord, your Master, your Savior. Therefore, sanctify yourselves. Now that's, you yeah. know, that's not a magic bullet, you know. That's not a little wand that just is waved. The man, when you receive spirit, boom, it's a said, done deal. I realize in my own personal life, you know, every day it takes my initiative. You know what happens? Oftentimes the spirit that I has, that I have, teaches me through my conscience, no, you don't need to do that, but you know what? I still have to be either obedient or disobedient to the voice. Amen. And so my hand comes into play about whether or not I'm obedient or disobedient and therefore my hand of sanctification if I'm sanctifying myself by listening to the voice of the Lord. Amen. Bible, if 
you'll look at verse number 11 in our scripture reading today. We're talking about these things. If you remember last week, some of the things that came about, the reason why we want to add these other things to our life, the reason why we want to grow in Christ is one of the things that we make our calling and our election sure. That whenever we receive the Spirit of the Lord, yes, we have a calling and an election, but whenever we add these other things to our life, it makes that, that much more stable, remember? That much more certain, amen? And he spoke to us that we would, we would never fall if we added these things to our life. Remember, not that we wouldn't stumble or make a mistake, but we would not fall. And so those are some of the benefits of adding these other things to your life. Because just receiving the Spirit and not adding the virtue and the knowledge and the temperance and the patience causes a person to be more apt at a higher risk, if you will. Amen. To fall or to fail altogether. And so with all this, he goes on a little bit further though. And he says, if you shall do these things in verse 10, you shall never fall. And then verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. Mm. In other words, if you don't just find a relationship with God, but you continue to grow in that relationship, he says, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly huh now this is tremendous and I think perhaps there's a passage in the book of Mark that may illustrate this quite well Jesus he's just finishing up a conversation uh, with a man who has had many possessions and according to this man's estimation uh, he has kept all the laws he, uh, he hasn't killed he hasn't bear false witness he kept all the laws and now the Lord is speaking to him, well, if, if you'll be perfect, he says, then go sell all that you have and give unto the poor. And the Bible says the man was very sorrowful. He turned away in Mark chapter 10. He was very sorrowful because Jesus asked him to sell his goods and give to the poor. And then this is what happens in Mark chapter number 10, amen, and verse number 23. The Bible says, and Jesus looked around about and said to the disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier, he says, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Now, Christ was not saying a rich man cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He was just saying due to uh, possessions of the world and being so fastened to that, sometimes it's more difficult because you've got to let go in order sometimes to enter. And he brings in this concept about how it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And so people then start drawing the mental picture of the impossibility of a big humpback camel passing through the eye of a sewing needle. And we, we look at things literally, but if we got to understand a little bit of the customs of that day. That's not talking about a real camel that's passing through the eye of some needle. Some, some, I have a hard time getting thread sometimes through the eye of a needle. <laughs> you know, let alone trying to push this old double-backed camel, you know, through it. And, and we seem to see an impossibility. But, but, but the needle, what was known as a needle, it was a smaller gate usually that was in the city. Oftentimes at night, they just kept that smaller gate open that allowed guests in at night. And in order for a camel to enter into that small gate which was known as the needle of the city, 
Oftentimes that camel had to unload its burden it had on its back and get on its knees and shuffle through the eye of the needle in order to enter. So, so Peter, uh, you know, he's relaying to believers, amen, that if they'll continue with the relationship with God, if they'll, if they'll grow in the relationship with God, if you won't just get started but add all these other virtuous things to your life, look what Peter says. He says, an entrance. I like this. He says, an entrance into the kingdom shall be ministered unto you abundantly. Man, I like this. He says, the more you grow in God, the bigger your entrance gets for his kingdom. I know that's paradoxical in our mind. You'd think you'd have to get somewhat smaller, you know, minute in order to enter in, but that's just the way God says. You know, the last shall be first and all that type of stuff. He says, the more you grow in me, the bigger I'll make the entrance to accommodate you. That alone, Bishop, is enough for me to want to do more than just be saved and get in the church. I want to grow in Christ. If I just come to God, I just got a little needle there and I'm struggling, honey. I'm trying to really get... But honey, if I continue to grow and mature in Christ, he says, I'm going I'm to knock out the walls a little bit. And I'm going to reframe this thing where, where it was only a foot high and two feet wide. I'm going to make this eight foot tall. and Yeah! said it's going to be ministered unto you abundantly. Amen. And that goes hand in hand with again then. In doing so, we're making our calling and our election. Sure. How is that? Well, when you do these things, he's, he's enlarging the entrance. An entrance being enlarged more abundantly. Amen for you. <laughs> now look now. You say... I'm going to start to get into this process of the faith and the virtue and so on and so forth. And you say, you're crazy if you say you're going to finish today. I'm not spending a long time on all these. If I really wanted to, we could take maybe a day on each, but we're not. <laughs> Look what Paul does, or Peter does rather, in verse number one of Second Peter, if you have your Bibles open there. He, Look to whom he is speaking. He says to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained like precious faith. And so since he is speaking to those who have obtained faith, that's where he starts with our addition process. We are adding to our faith. Amen. Even the Apostle Paul had told the church at Rome not to think of themselves too highly because he was basically telling them we all start our journey out at the same location. We start at the same place. He told them in Romans 12, 3, say, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We all start out. And that's a tremendous thing about this thing called church. Your start has been no different than anybody else's. Once you pass through his blood and his name, you all have the exact same start. And with that being the case, we can't use then that as an excuse further down the road. They had it better than I had. Maybe in life, circumstances was different, but whenever you hit that mile marker of Jesus Christ, everything comes to an even kill across the board. Amen. 
And so he's saying, here's everybody, every man's been given the measure of faith. We all have, we all have the same stuff. We're all adding to the same thing. We all beginning with faith and we're all adding and contributing uh, with all diligence to the same thing. God gave us that capacity of faith because through that we would receive his spirit. The Bible says in Galatians 3, uh, 14, Sister McGee, Scripture says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spirit. How? Through faith. So he gives individuals, he gives us a capacity or a measure of faith because the spirit of, of, of the promise, the promise of that spirit comes through that faith. So he's not going to keep that from anybody. No, because that's for everybody. So he's going to give everybody a portion of faith and if they'll utilize it, work upon it, you know, act upon it, then they can have that spirit of God. But we're not to stop there. We are to continue in this journey. And, but we're starting with faith. Now, remember, Ephesians 6 and verse 16. Uh, the writer here, Paul, he's talking about taking on the, the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet to be shot, the preparation of the gospel of peace, our loins to be girded about with truth, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, there's something I want you to ponder here today. Above all, taking the shield of faith. When you take the shield of faith, yes, I already have a helmet of salvation on. But the shield of faith is like providing double protection even for my head. I already have on a breastplate of righteousness that's covering this portion of my body. But with that shield of faith that would go the full height of the man in front of him, it's double protection for this. Can I even say this? It's the first line of protection for this. My feet, everything else that I have on, this, all this armor, it serves as that first line of protection for all of those other things. Amen. And so above all, i got to take that, that shield of faith. I believe that's the reason why, and I'm just going to hit a few scriptures right here. That's the reason why the writer in Jude, he called to the church. What did he tell them? He said, earnestly contend for the faith. He did not say, if you look through the rest of the list of 2 Peter, earnestly contend for godliness or earnestly contend for patience. No, because you don't have anything to add to if you first don't earnestly contend for the faith. That's the reason why it's very problematic when the scripture speaks of in the last days of people that will depart from the faith. Because if you've done any growing in God, when you get rid of faith, you got rid of patience. When you get rid of faith, you get rid of everything that was added to that faith. All these, all these things have been added to you. You, you just, you've gotten rid of all these things. It's the very basis. It's just a very place of, of foundation. And what is it that we see? If you'll go there, Sister McGee, Luke twenty-two, thirty-two. 32. Faith, we're starting with faith. We're starting with faith. That's where the point is. Jesus tells Peter, I have prayed for thee. Peter knew what this was all about. That's right in the scripture that I, we're teaching from this morning. Peter was prayed for by Jesus. I pray for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. Why of all the things that he could have prayed for Peter, did he pray for his faith? Because that's where it starts, and you add. I don't, I don't know if you, you understand. We could get back out the old Christmas tree, I guess, today, you know. 
We're still partially there. It's Valentine's now. Just red, you know. But anyway, get it. You know, face the Christmas tree. The ornaments on it are all the other traits and virtues. But you can't get rid of the tree once they've been added without getting rid of the ornaments. He says, so I'm not praying for the ornaments on the tree. I'm praying for the tree. Let the tree remain. Let the tree. Let faith remain. That's the beginning place. That's the building block. That's the place of origin. Peter, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. Because if your faith fails, your temperance fails. If your faith fails, your patience fails. If your faith fails, your brotherly kindness, all these other, they fail. Look with me jump ahead just a little bit here Sister McGee we'll come back to it 1 Samuel 31 above all take that shield of faith it's that first line of defense 1 Samuel 31 verse number 8 this is King Saul King Saul's dead alright he's, he's dead the Bible says it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the sling, they found Saul and his three sons falling to Mount Gilboa. Look now. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent into the land of the Philistines, ran about to publish it in the house of their idols among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshem. So here is Saul's dead. They take, they take his head where the helmet of salvation, where the helmet would be affixed. They take all of his armor, Scripture says, all of his armor. How did they accomplish that? Well, he's dead. How did he die? Second Samuel, chapter 1. When David's lamenting over the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. The Bible says somewhere around here, you might already have it up there, Sister McGee. Yeah, 121. Here's David lamenting over their deaths. He says, Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there, listen now, the shield of the mighty, speaking of Saul, Saul's shield, is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed. There's something written here in Scripture it says the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. Not in so much Brother Cox said it was taken or it fumbled, but it was purposely and intentionally cast away. But after faith was let go of, the head was taken off. The helmet of salvation was in jeopardy. After the shield was cast away after faith was done away with. All the, uh, the belt of truth was in jeopardy. The feet shod with peace was in jeopardy. All these other things defended these things, but faith defended everything. And when you remove that, you open yourself up for attack at all those other. And so Saul, you, you, you vilely cast that away. And now we see them coming in to spoil, to spoil the fallen. And they're taking off heads. And they're taking off armor. 
but it all links back to the faith that was discharged from the hand of Saul. It's the starting place. It's the starting place. Jesus even asked the question in Luke 18, 8. He said, whenever I come, will I find? Remember? Will I find faith? Because I, won't, I know I won't find the other things if faith isn't there. You understand? It's not really necessary for me to start looking for some of these other things. It's not necessarily for me to look for these other things in the list because they are only there because they're added to faith. And so my question is, is there faith? Because that's the building block from which everything else would stem. Does not the Bible tell us in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6? Amen. So all these other things are added to faith. Amen. They'll cease to exist, cease to be established if faith fails. Amen. And one of the many reasons why without faith it's impossible to please God. Amen. Because faith is the basis. Faith is that tree with all those other ornaments that's upon it. Faith is the means by which those other things are showcased. But you must have faith. So we don't want to depart from that. We don't want the promise. Because, listen, we depart from that. The promise of ye shall never fail gets pulverized. You must have faith. Going on now. I won't hold you much longer. I, I know. You said. You said, Brother McGee, okay. Let's add to our faith then. We're going to add. I'm, listen, I'm serious. These are just going to be little whistle spots, okay? All right? Still people in disbelief, but... <clears throat> He says, let's add to our faith virtue. Virtue, in its basic meaning, is excellence. Virtue is this. Listen, when anything in nature fulfills its purpose, that's virtue. Okay. Land that produces a crop, they would call that, that's an excellent piece of land. Or a virtuous, why? Because it is fulfilling its purpose. I used to have a used to have an old hammer, brother Fred, and it was one of those metal metal stocks, but it was hollow in the center. You know what I'm saying? Man, I was using that one, boom, boom, and then that head just laid over. That was not an excellent hammer. Why? Because it didn't fulfill its purpose. So something that has virtue or something is rendered as being excellent whenever it's fulfilling its purpose. And God's saying, you want to grow in Christ? He says, you get faith, but then add to your faith virtue. Start fulfilling my purpose in your life. And so you, isn't that something? I want to start on a trip that I'm going to fulfill whatever the purpose is of the trip. You're going to be spending a lot of gas if you don't know where you're going. It's too, too high to do that. So, so you, you, it, it works correctly. It's proper. It's fulfilling its purpose. He says, then you add to your virtue, you add to your virtue, knowledge. Knowledge. Everybody say, experiential knowledge. Oh, yeah, we get some knowledge from the things that we experience, don't we? Or should, footnote, should. <laughs> we should get some knowledge from the things that, 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 that we've done and, and you must remember why this is so and listen whenever I talk about this list I'm not talking about this as an exhaustive list this is all conclusive that's all there is Peter's just given a good a good you know 
you ever had somebody, well, how do you do that? And they just kind of give you a few pointers. They might not give you every detail, but this is how you, at least you get it going. And so Peter's given us a good list, and he's given us a good list in light of what he's trying to combat right now, a bunch of false teaching, false doctrine. Remember, he's trying to combat all this, so it's good. You need to add to your faith knowledge. Uh, in an area that there's false teachers and there's false doctrines that's going about because with your knowledge, that's going to help your defense against all that. Let me tell you, as Christians and as new Christians in particular, we need to add to our faith knowledge. Uh Because there will be voices that try to allure you from truth. And if you don't know what truth is, you won't know what you're being allured to and away from so it's important that you have knowledge because the knowledge is going to be your defense against the false teachings and the truth amen so so you know there isn't any better way to do to fight against false teaching than to have knowledge what is right what is true um ignorance of god's word and ignorance of god's plan leaves us very vulnerable even to the lies of the enemy when you're ignorant when you have no knowledge about god or his word or his plan It makes you vulnerable to the enemy. And he speaks lies into your ears and you're soon to accept them. Why? You don't have no knowledge of truth to bounce that off of. You couldn't prove it one way or another in your mind whether that is true or not what he's saying. And so you succumb to his deception for your lack of knowledge. But the more you're knowledgeable of this book whenever he starts to speak things that's totally against what God says and his word says Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> That's right. We've got to grow in this. And he says, so we're going to add to our knowledge temperance. Here it comes. Here it comes. We're growing in God temperance, which in other words is self-control. 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 Oh, boy, you really know you're growing in Christ when you come to adding temperance to the equation. Self-control. Because you have allurements, you have desires, there's temptations. You're like, mm. Self-control's hard. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit like a city that is broken down without walls. city without walls has no protection. It's open to any and every enemy. And if we don't have self-control in our life, we are likewise. We're open prey for anything and everything if we're not to a place of being able to practice self-control. Proverbs 16.32, Sister McGee, if you go there now. Thank you. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rule of his spirit than he that taketh a city. There is some untapped power in having self-control. Amen. Yeah. Sometimes, and listen, I don't want you to get the misunderstanding or the wrong idea. Self-control isn't all about saying no. It's about saying no to the things that are wrong and saying yes to the things that are right. It's not all about saying no. Sometimes it's about saying yes. Amen? If we could go very quickly, I do. I have a lot of scripture. Amen. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. Sister McGee, you're staying with me. Thank you, hon. And every man that striveth for the mastery. Yeah. 
I got to end today, Bishop. Don't, don't be tempted me. See, this is self-control right here. He's saying talk about that for a while. Strive for the mastery, not for a novice, not for you know, a little elementary level, first degree, for mastery. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. But wait, insult to injury in all things. Whew. Boy, I know I'm still growing in Christ. Don't be them. Oh, oh, Pastor Son. No, no, I'm no master. <laughs> Mastery is still yet to be achieved. But I'm growing. I might not have all things quite yet, but look, we're striving. And that's the thing. Just because some things, I'm, man, that is unattainable. You know, some people get in their mind, that's unattainable. So their whole idea about striving they just quit altogether because that's unattainable. Scripture doesn't admonish that. He says it's out there. We're going to reach it one of these days when rapture takes place. Mastery will be granted. Hallelujah. But until then, it's not you sit and do nothing. You just be dormant and stay. No, you strive. You strive. And if you don't have mastery overall, man, you might, you might though get to a place, you might get it over a few things. And I find in my life that there's a constant juggling effect. I get a yoke know, over in here, and the man it kind of gets a little loose over there, and we tighten that nut up, you know, and then it a little vibration. We got something. So you know, but I'm constantly trying. I'm constantly striving. I'm not just sitting back and you know, we get this bad concept in, in churches that well just let go and let God's not going to do it all for you right. just let go and let God <laughs> well I've got to strive for mastery so, so temperance self control add to that self control patience let me tell you when you start dealing with, with temperance self control you're going to need some patience you bite stuff and Beads come on you and you string yourself. and You're going to need some pains and patience because patience is going to allow you to endure underneath that load of what you're trying to be self-controlled over. Listen, temperance or self-control has to do with how we handle pleasures of life. Patience deals with how we endure problems of life. So, so we employ self-control a lot whenever the pleasures are alluring for our attention. A lot of times, though, we, we bring the patience into our life whenever there's problems that are loading us down in our life. The Bible says in James chapter 1, Sister McGee, come on, let's go. You need to speed up up there. No. Uh, James chapter number 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh. Come on, patience. Come on. The trying of your faith works your patience. Verse 4, we'll go on and read it. But let patience have her perfect work. Oh, really, God? That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What's that doing? That you may be whole and entire, wanting nothing. What are you talking about? Because you're growing in God. You're growing in God. Whenever patience, whenever you're going through all of your headache and hang-ups, oh, and you're trying to exercise patience, guess what? You are growing in God. 
And here's a secret for patience. And I'm saying I got it all figured out, all right. But here is the secret, my wife will tell you. Here is the secret for patience. We got to keep in focus the final result. Secret for patience in our life is keeping focused on the final result. Listen very clearly this morning. There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. There are no shortcuts to Christian maturity. I know we live, you know, in the day of shortcuts. Take this and you'll lose 30 pounds in 10 hours. Yeah. Microwave it, fast food it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, people take something for a headache and they say, you know, a minute into it, this isn't working. They're crying out loud. It's probably have traveled to your stomach yet. Yeah, but we're all, we're all about shortcuts. We're all about just, man, trying to get just... A, there are no shortcuts concerning Christian maturity. It's just diligence. It's just work. It's just supplying yourself. But you've got to keep that final result in, in view. Jesus taught us that in Hebrews 12 and verse number 2. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse number 2. Jesus taught us this, that in our patience, amen, is best if we can keep the end in focus. Looking into Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. How did you do all that, Lord? It wasn't that I looked at the cat of nine tails. And it wasn't that I looked at the faces of the Roman soldiers. And it wasn't that I uh, was trying to take full inventory of the spear that went through my side. How did he keep patient and keep attached to all that? It was because of the joy that was set before. Had to keep focused on the finish. The finish. So, we add then to our dear patience, godliness. It's an important trait, godliness. We might call it godlikeness. We're really growing, and we're really growing now as Christians. We're really maturing now to get to a space that we're adding godliness, godlikeness. Because godliness, godliness seems to even describe a lifestyle, if you will. And notice what First Timothy four and verse number seven says. It says, "Refuse profane and old wise fables. Exercise thyself. Look, exercise thyself rather into godliness." Exercise is a very key word in this. Exercise thyself into godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto, again, man, I love this word, all that's just cropping up. All things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What's it speaking of? Not just your present day life, but it's speaking of heaven. You exercise yourself to godliness, it's profitable all things. To what extent? To even the extent of, again, grasping a hold of a heavenly place someday now the sad thing is scripture also tells us that people can pretend godliness uh huh 2 Timothy 3 5 speaks of a people having a form of godliness pretend godliness but there's a warning against that and you divide the power thereof he says from such turn away so we can add a, a life a god likeness lifestyle uh, to our patience and along with that we can then go, Scripture says, to brotherly kindness and charity. And here's, here, these kind of couple together a little bit. We have, we have brotherly kindness and we have charity. And, and this is just my brain going this morning. 
Because as we show brotherly kindness with our brothers and sisters, sometimes we tend to expect certain things from them as a result. But the malady of the situation is this. Whenever they don't act a certain way or do certain things according to our expectations, you know what that fosters in me? In that, I'm showing brotherly kindness and I don't get what I expect. I should get returned. And what that does for me, it fosters a little bad spirit, a little bitterness toward my brother and sister. And so I believe very quickly, you've got to add charity then to brotherly kindness. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 and 8, because charity beareth hope. And believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. This morning I'll, I'll close with this if you'll stand with me. Did I, say, did I say stand with me or close with me? Either way, we're going to do it together. Okay. <laughs> Look, look, very quickly, and I, again, I won't keep you standing for real long. But verse number 8 of Second Peter 1, he said, For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful. So if you're not barren, if you're not unfruitful, then... If those things are present, then it tells me that the opposite must be true. If those things are present, you will be productive. You will be fruitful. And one of the desires Jesus had for his disciples in New Testament Scripture is that they would bear fruit. John 15, verse number 1, I am the true vine, and my father, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me. You can do nothing. And there's a progression. You read those five verses again. He speaks of us bearing fruit. He speaks of us bearing more fruit. He speaks of us bearing much fruit. How's that happen? Because you have Christian maturity that takes place. A baby's contribution to society is only at a certain level. But as you grow, your contribution grows. Mm-hmm. Even looking just at the plain sense of a tree. A tree, a small tree, a very elementary infant tree can only yield so much fruit. But as it grows, its ability to bear more fruit, even much fruit, grows as it grows. Amen. So I close today and tell us that we need to continue in this thing called Christian maturity. Because the Bible further all and says that whenever we lack some of those things that we're blind and we cannot see afar off. And it, it, some of you that have perfect 2020 vision, bless God every day for it. But I don't. I'm nearsighted. Nearsighted, Brother Pat. 
If I didn't have my contacts in and I was standing this close to you, you would be a big blur. I might be able to see a little bit of your features and from that distinguish that maybe that's Pat Dykus, but for the most Pat, poor Pat, for the most Pat, <laughs> for the most part, you'd be a big blur. And let me tell you how bad that is during the nighttime, whenever you even have lights on, but you're nearsighted. Walking along. <laughs> Boom! Ow! You don't know you came upon something until you came upon it. Until you come upon it. Whenever you just get in Christ and you don't grow in Christ, it affects how far you can see. And it brings detriment to your soul because you can't see stuff until you're already upon them. But if you have these things in your life and you grow in Christ, it gives you the ability to see beyond where you are, ahead of you, to the right of you, around you. It gives you a further ability to cast and see what's ahead of you. Let's pray today in this place that God would help us collectively, all of us, as a church, that we would grow in Christian maturity. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I thank you, Lord. God, for looking down upon us. I thank you, Lord. God, for giving us all, Lord, a measure and a capacity of faith. God, through which we can receive the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of promise. But God, you didn't save us just to leave us there. Help us to grow, Lord, even as newborn babes. God, to grow up into Christ. Lord, and add these different traits and these different virtues in our life. In doing so, they are, Lord, enriching our life. They are making the doorway, God, to the kingdom, Lord, abundantly, Lord, enlarged. I pray, oh God, help me today. Lord, I've not yet obtained mastery, Lord, in many, Lord, areas. But God, let that not make me think I should not strive or I should not try or I should not endeavor Lord let us have that spirit of pressing on toward the mark as the apostle said we're pressing we're pressing we'll achieve that we'll get there one of these days but all along the journey we're not going to quit or refrain from pressing from striving from moving onward God I pray oh Lord help us add all these attributes Lord to our life and wherever we are Lord in the journey God let us just continue Lord and not Lord be faint-hearted, God, not to give up, not to turn around, and by all means, Lord, not to cast off faith, because in the moment we do that, we've cast more than just faith off, if we've ever added anything to it. I pray, oh God, today bless your people, strengthen us together, Lord, that we can be the church, Lord, that you would want us for us to be, Lord, in this society, in this day and age, in Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. God... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.